Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 34 of Dead Man's Chest. I was waiting for you to say something. What was I going to say? Exactly. Because why have the banter here now when we don't banter in real life? We don't even have conversations. You got that right. So there you go. Why change it up? This is the only time we ever talk. That's why we do need this show. Keeps us together. In the previous minute... It's time for a little dinner party soiree. Nothing says 18th century pomp and circumstance like a little fine dining. Hey, invite all your friends, because I've heard Captain Jack Sparrow is the Gordon Ramsay of appetizers. As Jack awaits his entrees, I mean comrades, he can't help but dig into a few of the munchies. Ah, can I get some sparkling water to wash this toe meat down? Meanwhile, the fashionably late Motley crew are hanging out in a couple of bone cages awaiting to be formally announced while Mr. Exposition Gibbs fills everyone in on what's happening. Master Exposition Gibbs! It's my uh, office reference, an obscure office reference to the dinner party. It's not the dinner party. It's the garden party. The garden party. The dinner party is completely different. It is completely different. It's very different tone, actually. Very uncomfortable. There ain't nothing more uncomfortable than watching the office, (laughs) the dinner party episode. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Right now I've got the hebos just thinking about it. <laughs> Minute 33 begins with Will Turner responding to Gibbs, so he had no choice. He's a captive then as much as the rest of us. Gibbs replies, worse, as it turns out. See, the Pelagosos believe Jack is a god in human form. The minute ends with Chief Jack rousing the natives. The natives are restless. Big fire, big fire, I am chief. I want big fire. Oi, Maboogie snickle snickle. Everyone get that? Yeah. Well, then there you go. I'm going to come out of the gate with a hard-hitting question for you. What do you think of the Umshoko language? Really? It's weird? That's your response? It's weird? It's weird. That's it? What kind of sleepy response is that? I don't know. You okay over there? You need some adrenaline? Get this lady some jolt soda immediately. Do they even still sell jolt soda? I have no clue. Neither do I. Red Bull is probably the new thing. Neither have I. Red Bull is now the thing. Or Monster or any... Ripple will give you wings. Seems a bit like a funny caricature to me. The, yeah, it's the weird. language? I would say it's weird, too. Yeah. It's like an over-the-top character is making up a language on the spot. Yeah. Would it have been better for Jack to speak what amounts maybe to more of a real Umshoko language? A real, maybe I shouldn't, shouldn't say Umshoko, but a real, like, native Carib language? No, because this is very fitting for him. That's what I was wondering. Is this too farcical? Or... 
really absurd is probably more accurate. I mean, is it better for him, though? Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is a Disney movie. Swashbuckler comedy. So I get that. I think going too far in one direction takes it to drama land, which is an entirely new ballgame. And I don't think it would have sparked the franchise that it did, the success that it has. It's like when Little Mermaid, I know we discussed this last season, but it's like when Little Mermaid makes up all the different words for the human utensils and stuff like that. Yeah, but this is different. This is a grown-up, not a mermaid. It's a pirate. She was a grown-up. She got married in the movie. Okay, she's making up things and calling things for that, but this is Jack trying to actually converse with somebody else, not... It's their language, though. Okay, I get that. You're getting awfully technical here for a question already. Because it wasn't really about the actual language. I get that. I was saying, should the language have been less absurd? Or is it good to have it that absurd? It's good to have it that absurd. Because if it does go too far realistic, then it does take the movie more into drama land, like I was saying, than it does into comedy. Then if you go the other direction, it drops the movie into slapstick. I mean, if we even went further than that, which I don't think would have worked for this type of movie. No. But I do think it found a nice place. And I'm not saying that I thought it was too over the top for the movie. Are you sure? I'm just trying to present it. it kind of sounds like No. Because I think, like I said, if it was too realistic, it may not have worked for where they wanted it to go to have still that comedy element. But if it was too... Well, I don't know how you get it more over the top than this or absurd than this. I mean, Mabugi Snickle Snickle. Come on. What do you? What do I say to that? <laughs> you know, no unicky snip snip. I mean, Does come that on. Just mean like big fire or something? No, I'll tell you what it means. Okay, thank you. No worries. So I think it did find it in the middle of the action here. I'll bring it to you in a second. But yeah, I, I think either way you end up in a one place or another. So yeah, I mean I, the language is over the top, like Jack. But I think it works with him as the only main character other than the Pelagostos actually speaking the language. Yeah. Anyone else, and it would have fallen flat. Depp is Jack, I think, is the only one who can pull this Umshoko language off, besides the actual natives. Yeah. He's often the comedic relief for the film anyway, so I think that was appropriate. Yeah, I agree. But I can't picture Will or Gibbs speaking Umshoko. Can you? No. Can you imagine Gibbs up there saying, Mabugi, snickle, snickle? (laughs) No. It just doesn't work. (laughs) No. The guy's, because he's our Mr. Exposition, but he's also our serious type, too. Right. He brings the doom and gloom superstition. Right. He doesn't bring the eunuchy snip snip thing. That's just not part of Gibbs' character. No. And Will doesn't do that either, really. Did you know Jack was really speaking their language when you first saw the movie? Or hell, even up until we started researching the movie, did you think Jack was actually speaking their language? Oh, I don't know. I guess I assumed it. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I always thought he was just making S up on the spot here. Yeah, but they responded. To get to his point across. They responded to it. I know, but it's like a crazy Jack-fashioned language. Yeah. I thought it was like bridging the gap between absurd utterances and their language. Like this. Oh, like we talked yeah, about yeah, pigeon yeah. in the yeah. some of the earlier episodes. That pigeon is, made, is, a, is a type of language that's made up of two different groups who don't speak the same language. And then they use words and pieces from their language and kind of hybridize and harmonize them to form something that they all understand. Yeah. That's kind of what that, I was. I mean, I thought of, it was middle ground for him well, yeah, and the that Pelagostos. Kind of, that kind of makes more sense. Because you wouldn't expect him to, play, to speak fluent in, mm, this, yeah, in the language. 
but maybe he picked up a little bit here and there, so he's kind of saying it to a point, but not. Well, I think like the eunuchy I mean? eunuchy comment is not something that they probably have eunuch in there. Right vocabulary on the island so and then he kind of, kind of he, he added that and they kind of got the idea when he's like snip snip and yeah yeah but yeah i mean I, I think that i was under the impression that he's just really trying to get his point across but they hear him speaking gibberish mm. and he's just pretending like he knows what he's doing yeah in jack fashion it's like baby talk you're trying to get it across or when you're trying to speak Another language to somebody, you maybe you slow down or you're trying to get your point across because they don't speak the same language as you. You slow down like that helps. They don't understand English, yet you slow it down just so <laughs> like, OK, now he was speaking fast in gibberish, but now he's speaking slower in gibberish. So now I can understand the gibberish. It just doesn't happen. That's kind of what I thought maybe was going on with Jack. Yeah. I thought Ted and Terry like sat down and wrote out some crazy sounding words. Or they listen to children pretending to speak foreign languages. And they're like, hey, that, that sounds good. <laughs> but I didn't actually know that there was like a UCLA professor, a linguist that came on board to help develop a language for yeah. this. That didn't even cross my mind. Oh, no. No way. I didn't. Yeah. But they don't. So far, we haven't seen that they spent time developing a language, yet we have very little of it. Right. Did they really need to go to that extent to have no. this language? No. At least from what we're seeing now. You could just like make up words. and Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, why not? Why, why, why did they do you, that? I have no clue. Because now that I'm thinking, I mean. It's just made up words. It's Yeah, it's not like we're carrying out big full dialogue here. No. And the fact is, is that Jack often will say some of the words in Umshoko and then he'll follow it up with English. Yeah. To, so the audience isn't completely left behind. Right. And those words that kind of bridge this pigeon, like unicky and things like that, that's an English word that people get. He's just like added a Y to it. He's done like a, although not in this circumstance, like a pig Latin deal where people can kind of follow along. But for them to spend money on developing a language just seems a little weird that we don't get like big dialogue or have a bunch of stuff going on. Right. It doesn't happen. Yeah. And I'm trying to think ahead in the minutes. We even see anything like that anyways. Just seems like they almost had something more to do or plan to do. And then it never materialized. Oh, maybe. Even in the other movies, it's not like the Umshoko language comes up in other movies that no. I can think of. Uh-uh. So it's just, it's a weird, like, they went down this road thinking it was going to go one way. And maybe a lot of stuff hit the cutting room floor, as they say, in the editing process. Or maybe, I don't know what, it's, it's strange to me. I don't know. Yeah. Jack does give us a nice language lesson in the always popular phrase, want more wood. <laughs> Mabugi snickle snickle, want more wood. That's what it says. Oh, okay. That's what it means. When traveling the world, there are a few words and phrases you definitely want to pick up. You know, have on the tip of your tongue that local lingo in case of emergency. Like a bathroom? Yeah, that's one of them. And the other one is, want more wood. No, it's not. <laughs> it's typically not one of those must-have language bridges you need at the tip of your tongue. The obvious exception, unless you're in the red light district. Arr! But that's for after hours version of the show. Earmuffs to all the kids out there. Want more wood is not something you say unless you're in the red light district. Maybe we need an after hours show. A post show. Maybe. I don't know. That could get out of hand. Yeah, no. We already do enough of that here, let alone after hours. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. I was thinking about it. Okay, no. No. While we're still on Jack and still close to the intro, 
Why was he eating his toe or the toe? You said he wasn't the toe eating, nail. It, but he was eating the toenail. I said the toe meat because it sounds better. And who doesn't like delicious toe meat? I don't know if we talked about it. I don't it. think we did. Anyways, my theory of why he's actually doing that is kind of what Gibbs says. As long as he looks and playing the part of the chief, then he's good. This is, I think, was him playing the part of the chief. Like he's going to eat this toe that's hanging Yeah. Him? It's not like he takes a giant bite. He's just like, I'm going to take a little bite of this toenail. Then the guards that are standing there go, oh, okay, he's one of us. He's, uh, he's all willing to have some toe meat. Okay. So I think it's all playing along. Yeah. For Jack. But I know Terry and Ted were talking about this and they were saying that how Gore Verbinski was really excited about this because he thought it was the good laugh for the kids. Oh, it was okay. something that was put in there for the kids. The parents and everybody would think it's gross, but the kids would have a good time with it. Oh, okay. So Jack, yeah, he's playing along, acting the god, acting the cannibal chief, and then the kids are getting a laugh out of it. So it was a ki- joke for the kids. Joke for the kids. Sounds good. Because it did gross me out. I'm like, it oh, how dare disgusting. you? disgusting. Even if that's a the fake toe. The toe is just nasty looking. Even if it's a fake toe, I'm like, don't put that in your mouth. And could you imagine what's underneath that nail? And that nail was so freaking long. Ugh. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that again. So much toe jam in there. <laughs> toe jam is not under the nail? I think yeah. that's between your toes. No, it's under the nail also. That's a whole different jam going on there. Thanks to Mr. Exposition Gibbs, the Pelagostos have this religious idea that Jack is a god in human form, as I was saying. But it's not actually crazy or a unique idea. Well, maybe the eating him part is. But then again, I'm not part of a cannibal culture. Expert in cannibals, I'm not, so maybe this is standard practice. Who do I refute on that? I, I don't. thought you were the expert in everything. Uh, but not cannibals. Oh. The one thing. I know I'm close, but I wouldn't call myself an expert. I have like a bachelor's in cannibalism. Not not master's and not PhD. I'm working on it, though. That you, way it gives validity have, to my podcast. You can't have the, the PhD until you actually eat the long pork. <laughs> Well, then I guess I have a PhD then already. I didn't realize. Toe meat counts. This idea of God in human form is where I was going, has transcended the boundaries of time and culture. Do you hear that? No. It's the drums of history. History is fastly approaching. Get excited, everybody. Egyptian pharaohs, you know, the kings of ancient Egypt, were considered gods by their culture. They believed that when their pharaoh died, he would continue to lead them in the next life, which is why his burial was grand and completed to perfection, to please him in the next life and ensure his immortality to protect his people. Japanese emperors were claimed to be divine descendants of the goddess Amaterasu. Chinese emperors were deified as sons of heaven since the Qin dynasty. Some Roman emperors following Julius Caesar, who in 42 BCE was formally deified as the divine Julius, Divine Julius. Julius Caesar? Reminds me of my nickname. The Divine Julius. More like Orange Julius. <laughs> <laughs> the American Indian Nachez people. Not nachos. Nachez. Oh, you got me hungry These for nachos. Nachos people. Actually, the <laughs> Nachez people were a theocracy ruled by the Great Sun. This ruler had sometime been deemed a god king. Another nickname of mine. God King? Yeah, God King. Hmm. And the list goes on from countries in Southeast Asia to the Dalai Lamas, Inca emperors, and the Nepalese kings. So it's not unusual, maybe the eating part, like I said, but not unusual for societies and cultures to have leaders that are kind of gods in human form is all I'm trying to say. But do they eat them? That's what I just said. Two seconds before you said that, (laughs) I don't know that. And most of them didn't that I saw. I mean, they're not... Eating a succulent Chinese emperor meal here. (laughs) 
Terry and Ted are talking about writing the Pelagosa setup with Jack as their chief and a god in human form. When they were talking about it and doing this, they said it's like a very subtle reference to something that occurs in At World's End. And I'm mentioning the setup, not the execution, no spoilers, just something to keep in mind when we get to Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Okay. God in human form. Subtle reference to that. It's nice that Cotton, though, because we're talking about cannibals, jumps into the conversation with Will and Gibbs. And since his parrot's gone, he resorts to uh, charades, gives Gibbs a bite on the fingers. (laughs) Either that or Cotton is thinking, if you can't beat them, join them. Maybe this is his plan to survive. (laughs) Hey, don't eat me. I'm an honorary... Pelagosto. <laughs> I didn't really have anything on that. That was just kind of my lame transition to. That was my lame transition to bone cages. Because you, did you notice anything off about the bone cages in Gibbs' comment? Yeah. Nice job. <laughs> Canned response. Hit the button, G- Scott. Gibbs says that the bone cages are made from the other crewmates. He kind of insinuates that. He says the cages well, were made after we yeah. arrived. And... These bones look awful dry. Weathered? Weathered is better. Weathered. Okay. Yeah, it's nice of Jack to honor his fallen comrades now that we know what's going on with him wearing toes around his neck. I think it's his comrade toes. That's not good. Maybe when I'm gone, you can wear my toes as a necklace. I think I'll pass on that. Get a bite on the nail while you're at it. Yeah. I've seen those toes. Shiver me timbers. How dare you? I mean, seriously. How dare you? I'll send you to the deep. I don't even know what to say now. I'm ready to end the show right now. Those cages were made from... Because I don't have anything to get out of that except get the hell out of there, Scott, and let's move along. If those cages were made from fresh bones of the Black Pearl crew, they definitely wouldn't have been weathered and discolored in a matter of days like this. Yeah. That's making the bold assumption that the Pelagosos obviously didn't paint or stain the bones. Like, we really want these to look old after they do Maybe that. Maybe they rolled them around in dirt. Come on. But to take up the properties in the color of dirt, it takes longer than just rolling them in there. Oh, okay. I mean, really, those... Well, let me just say this. Them should be white bones up there. <laughs> Fresh white bones. Some of them were almost black. Yeah. Not sure white bones would have worked for the look, though. No. But definitely would have been more accurate. It's interesting that you mentioned the color. Some of them look black. Because guess what? You bet your ass that I did some research on bone color. Oh, yeah. Looks like these bones are more from archaeological sites. And when I say that, when bones are recovered in archaeological context, they are not the white, shiny ones you typically see hanging in the back of a museum or after you've freshly prepared your cannibal meal. Nor are they always tinted brown from years in soil, like some of these ones here. Bones can be a number of colors, including black, red, yellow, white, or green. Sometimes the coloration can be due to natural processes within the soil, and sometimes they are an indicator of cultural activities. Color can be painted or stained directly onto the bone or can be placed on the skin and become imprinted on the skeleton following putrefaction. So you can stain the body. Yeah. And then the color seeps through and stains the bones when the body's decaying. Yeah. can also be accidental, but still due to the nature of the funerary rituals. According to the journal... Because I did some light reading. The Journal of Archaeological Science. The appearance of black pigmentation on skeletal remains from Mexico was caused by substances including manganese oxide, graphite, asphalt, and bitumen. All of which create a black color on bone. Oh, really? Yeah, so if you guys are coloring your bones out there, you know what uh, chemicals to use now. Substances. a little asphalt on them. Exactly. Roll around naked in the street. 
color your bones. There you go. That would probably be appropriate for our after show, actually, now that I think about that. No after show. A number of remains around the world have been found with a reddish pigmentation as well. The primary cause of red and yellow pigmentation is from ochre, a clay-like soil that, when combined with water, can make a non-toxic oil-like paint. Reminds me of Bob Ross. Break out your yellow ochre. Burnt sienna. Happy trees. Everybody yellow needs a friend. Yellow ochre for happy trees? So leaves, huh? Yeah. Got to put leaves and foliage on there. You got to highlight them. Obviously, you're not a Bob Ross fan. You wouldn't, You would have known that. How did I know burnt sienna? Because that's a common thing that everybody has. Really? Yeah. If you would have said like Van Dyke Brown, I'd have given it to you. But you went with burnt sienna. When found at burial sites, it is primarily assumed that the deceased individual's skin was covered in red ochre as part of the funerary rituals. When the flesh decayed, the coloration was transferred to the bones. Hmm. It's interesting how I can always manage to end the show on a happy note. The kind of information really you can dream about. Wondering, how can I change the color of my skeleton once I'm gone? And the real dilemma is... What color shall I choose? Green. That's what everybody can dream about tonight. One more thing before you leave. Marty, when Gibbs is talking about roasting and eating Jack, Marty looks a little concerned at this point in time. I would be too if I was concerned. He then looks back like, what? Now, there's the elephant in the room. Where? Marty's wondering, God, am I the first one to go? Am I the delectable morsel that's going to be cooked up first? The appetizer? Yeah, that's what he's wondering. Mm. It's easy. He's easier to handle. He's easier to deal with, possibly. He could cook quicker, maybe. <laughs> you know, they don't want to wait around for that kind of stuff. They want to get to their meal pronto. <laughs> so he's not really sure what's going on. Like, hey, what what is this? And then he has a fondness for Jack, even though he's been acting strangely lately. Yes. Strange. Er, lately, er. as he says. So yeah, he's just concerned at the whole get-go here. Plus, it's never good when you hear that and you're in a bone cage going, oh, man, if they're going to eat Jack, does that mean we're going to be eaten too? Yeah. Although they have good. to know that somebody got eaten because they're in bone cages made of their compadres and here. And half their crew is missing. Didn't I just say that? No. That's weird. <laughs> just came out. It was already... In the so process. it was in the pipeline and then <laughs> yeah. it just shot out. Yeah. Well, that's a little weird. Still a happy note we're ending on. Just yeah. the thought of cooking up Black Pearl Crew. It almost sounds like a good meal you're going to have. Uh, and tonight you'll be dining on uh, Black Pearl Crew. <laughs> that's just not so- good. Just sounds better than uh, you're going to have some pirate for dinner. Kinda. Unless you're in the after show, then it has an entirely different context. So we'll be back on Friday with Minute 35 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. That's all I have to say. Shoot, I think we got to finish painting here. Really hope you've enjoyed this. And hope you'll join us for the rest of this television series. And from all of us here, I'd like to wish you happy painting. And God bless, my friend. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again, and Season 2 is here, and we are willfully unprepared. 
Maybe we can distract... Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew listeners group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, and by all means, give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.